wonderful friends. Welcome to Faith FM Drive Time. Welcome to Big Q&A. This is the show where we respond to difficult questions concerning God and faith, contemporary religion and the Bible. This is the show where we look at world religious trends in the light of Bible prophecy. I'm Pastor Gary, a minister to the Brighton Seventh-day Adventist Church in the beautiful city of Adelaide. It's wonderful to be able to share with you once again. This week we're taking as our theme, the Bible and violence. And today we're simply asking, how did Christ deal with violence? Today our co-host is uh, Eric Hoare, and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. Uh, welcome to you, Eric, once again. Yeah, thanks, Gary. It's great to be here. What a cold day. I was down at uh, the Salisbury Council. We had our meeting uh, today with the Aboriginal people. Um, we did some dot painting and uh, bought some T-shirts. Oh, that, did you bring us some samples? I didn't, but uh, I tell you, they they did a great job. They we were doing uh, some Christian themes on on these t-shirts and some canvases, and I tell you what, the some really good ones. We had a, actually had a little child there, four year old boy, and uh, Joseph, and he did a wonderful example as well. It was nice to be in the warm yeah. and have a hot cuppa and just spend some lovely quality time together. Beautiful. This is a terrible time of the year, isn't it? I'm just sorry for being such a a, a grumble puss, but uh, you know, did you know that the shortest day of the year happened just yesterday. Yeah, that's right. My wife uh, mentioned that yesterday, and, and I'm, I'm so pleased that the shortest day has come and gone. I do love the extra days of sunlight, and I, often when I think daylight saving finishes, and I know uh, we have different views on daylight yeah, saving, yeah. but when it finishes, I always think of winter, and then yeah. when it, and when it, when it uh, comes back again, I always think of summer. So it's all in the mind, really, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. It really. You know, no, I, I did actually see something on telly where the. Uh, uh, Folk down in Antarctica, apparently on the shortest day, they uh, cut a hole with chainsaws yes. in the uh, in the ice, and then they go for a swim on the shortest day of the year. I looked at that and I sort of thought, "Hey, uh, now that's bravery." That uh, either uh, that or they're crazy. Yeah. Oh, one of the two, indeed, it is <laughs> one of the one of the two. Um, let's come to our World Watch uh, segment now. Look, uh, Eric picked up uh, an article. Uh, I I really appreciate this uh, material that comes from the cult. Cultural Research Centre at the Arizona Christian University. Now, of course, uh, uh, this survey is done uh, uh, once a year, but you get about 10 different releases every uh, two weeks throughout uh, the mid-portion of the uh, the year. Now, this is done, of course, uh, by Dr. Uh, Dr. George Barner. Now, on this particular occasion, uh, he's, uh, he's talking about uh, a national religious realignment. Now, of course, uh, he's speaking about America. America, uh, but I'd suggest that what's occurring in Australia is all not that much different. Uh, this is one of the things that he says. Perhaps the most telling reflection of the decline of Christianity as the preferred faith in America is demonstrated by the declines in a quartet of faith-related measures that veteran researcher George Barner has been tracking since the late 1970s. The shift in people's answers to these measures, he says, are absolutely breathtaking. Uh, he, he talked firstly about belief in the existence of God. 
now, of course, uh, in their survey, they present God as the all-knowing, all-powerful creator. That's something that would be presented, uh, certainly a traditional belief in most Christian churches. Belief in the existence of God as an all-knowing, all-powerful creator of the universe who still rules the world today. Back in 1991, and I can well remember, I was well in ministry in 1991, 86% of Americans uh, conceded that this was something that they believed. That figure has now dropped uh, to 46%. That's a massive drop uh, in that period of time. What about belief that the Bible is the accurate and reliable word of God? Back in 1991, that came up as being 70% of individuals actually accepted that. Now, it's down to 41%. Uh, and those that possess a biblical worldview, now, of course, a biblical worldview is the view that what you've got is an almighty God. Uh, the w- biblical worldview believes in a supernatural God and believes in the supernatural elements of Scripture. So how many people actually believe in those elements in the Scriptures? Uh, back in 1995, there was a mere 12% uh, today, it's a mere 6%. Now, this is a huge change in the thinking of many people within our, within our community. Now, Eric, what sort of impact do you think this is going to have on it? You know, firstly, maybe our, our society. Uh, then, of course, there's, you know, the impact on our church and, and then also on us as believing individuals. Uh, what impact do you think it's re- going to really have? Well, these are sad figures, aren't they, Gary? I mean, we're looking at um, half percent, you know, 50 percent, a just about drop between then and now, yeah, which yeah. Is, is quite, is very dramatic and it's quite sad. And uh, uh, the effect on society, I think we've been seeing for quite a while. I think the moral standards have dropped a lot. Uh, I think, too, that the respect that uh, people have for one another has dropped a lot. I mean, going back to 1991, I can remember, you know, the elderly being respected and and, uh, given a seat on the bus and, you know, doors being open for ladies, all sorts of things. You wouldn't swear. You wouldn't even, you know, uh, maybe there's a little bit of swearing going on. I didn't hear it, but, you know, but that's increased more now. And they use whatever word they like. And and you can see the the standards in society today. It's just, you can see the drop and decline through the years. Uh, On the church, I think that uh, um, we now have uh, an impact where I think that, uh, for instance, um, people go to churches for different reasons. Yeah. You know, I mean, some people just go to socialise to start with, but when you hear the Spirit speaking to you, you know, you, you follow the Lord's teachings. And whether the people are truly accepting uh, what has been, what is, what is in the scriptures, actually taking it into their lives. Now, that's a different matter for all of us. I suppose I'm really conscious, Eric, that uh, uh, certainly many people don't realise that for for many generations, the church was actually the primary teacher of morality. Uh, Within within society, you had the church and the family. The church and the family together were the were the key functionaries uh, of morality in our society. These were the people who passed on to the next generation 
what morality was all about. You know, if you take the church out of that, that only leaves uh, the family. And, of course, if the family itself uh, is uh, divorcing itself from the, uh, uh, from, the, from the church, at that point you're starting to see a transition happening. The, uh, the, the major beliefs in society are now being generated not by a church and a holy book, but rather, can I suggest, by the media. I mean, that- not, not only the media, I think, Gary, but also society, uh, the lawmakers. Um, if the rule of thumb is not uh, based on the Bible and the principles of the Bible and the care and given by it and the standards and the morals, uh, which is full of goodness for people, it's it's to help us live the best way we can in a happy way to protect us, really. Uh, right throughout the Bible, you read that in Scripture. But if you take those things away, what is there to stand on? We have rules and things being made of through through the media, as you say, but also it's through our lawmakers and uh, and those sort of issues. And so, therefore, we see a decline in these areas. I mean, you know, a murder years ago was front-page news, but now yeah. it's, it's, it's hardly mentioned. The, the penalties given out to people who commit these things has dropped. A lot of the time, they only get a few years. Way back, it used to be a lot more. Yeah. So what, where, where do you draw the line in the sand if you take away uh, the impact of a spiritual life? Yeah, this really says a lot to me, Eric, about mm. the sheer importance of... Uh, the family uh, mm. in passing on uh, certainly the beliefs, the morality that was certainly once uh, passed on through uh, certainly church and belief in a in a supernatural God. I mean, how can the family best do that? How can the family, mum and dad, best impact their children? Well, it's by example, isn't it? Mm. And I mean, that's that's uh, that's uh, that's the key point that. If the head of the family, the the um, husband and wife, aren't setting that example, and not only in their uh, spiritual life, but in their business life, the way they deal with their business, yeah. uh, dealing with the neighbours and all those around them, then the children follow often what the parents do. And 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 I mean, the church is actually the word for church is actually the people. Mm. And so if you've got a group of people, a remnant, that follow the, the sayings of God and they, they, that comes from their homes, then the power is in the family that the children will generally follow. Not all the case, but they will generally follow. I've known a lot of children uh, in, uh, that grew up in my time that have come to adults now who left the church and came back to it. Yeah, and often it was because they had a, a sample that was installed in them, the teachings of the Bible, and they left and, and went off for their wild life. But they came back. Yeah, and yeah. so um, uh, what needs to happen today is a, is a, the world needs to turn. Their it's attention. interesting that you actually say that, Eric, because you know sometimes I'm just so conscious that uh, one of the one of the things that the church has actually done for for eons is actually established boundaries. They've sort of uh, they've said, "Hey, these are where the boundaries." I mean, if you think of just the Ten Commandments, you know, what it's doing is it's establishing boundaries for the functioning of humanity. And uh, uh, people say, hey, look, you know, I mean, are they reasonable? Well, I certainly am aware that, you know, young people particularly will, you know, will push against the boundaries. Some will jump over the boundaries. But so many of them, as you rightly point out, will actually come back when they've got their own children. Uh, because at that point, uh, what actually occurs is that they realize the importance of having boundaries 
ways uh, in our lives. Uh, and to me, you know, uh, this is this is something that as I as I look at this particular survey by George Barner, I I just simply say, hey, this is saying something incredibly powerful. Uh, I believe uh, not just to society, but also to the church and also to us as individuals. Mm, that's right. And you know, it's it's as you say, you know, when people get married, that's when they kind of start to think of some of these things. But it's not about self, is it? It's about uh, what's happening in our lives plus other people's lives. And I think that with society that, you know, when I came to Christ, uh, I had a different mindset because what my belief system was in the world. Yeah. And the world was what dictated the way I was acting, really, the way, the way I was following. And by the world, we mean, for example, the media, the secular media that sort of imposes its views on us. Plus also the acceptance of... Um, of some of the habits that I was doing and drinking and all some of those issues which cloud your mind and and what you think is pleasurable is actually not the right way to go um, and so when Christ came into one's life when somebody is born again or changing they have different mindset because now they're concentrating on what is actually better for them it's a it's a spirit a power that comes into your life to make those changes and turn away from and from those things that were destroying us before and I see the fact that the way the world is going is that many people lose their faith in God because they listen to the, the voices in the world, the media, uh, the politicians, whatever's happening, looking for their best way to get on in life when they're ignoring the principles that the Bible set out, which gives so much peace and joy that they can't find. Yeah. They'll never find yeah. it in the world. Yeah. They're yeah. always looking for it. And these statistics here show that many are turning that way. Yeah. But yeah. I believe that you know there's going to be a time when the Spirit will really outpour. And I think through COVID, we see a bit of a change in that people are thinking. That's the thing on. that I, I'm really conscious of, Eric, because uh, increasingly I'm finding people, and a lot of young people actually, are asking questions that they've never asked before. Mm. Uh, these are questions that you just stand out, that just jump out at you, and you just simply say, hey, where did that actually come from? Mm. Uh, because, you know, they're big questions that are actually being asked. And uh, to me, uh, as I look at this, uh, I believe there's a there's a huge opportunity for the church at this point to be able to present a better way of living. And when you look at it, uh, the way the world shifts so quickly from one one day to the next, yeah. not only there but back in Australia, we have different states reacting. People are on shifty ground; they're on sand. Uh, you know, they're sinking in sand, and and uh, and they're not sure anymore of of their faith beliefs. Yeah. But in the Bible, we have solid foundation. We know that these things will happen. Yeah, and it gives us yeah, assurance. Yeah. No, that, that that's powerful. Look, let's come to some some music. This is uh, Candy and Daryl Kuhn, uh, and the the song is uh, it is Quiet Times. Beautiful, beautiful song. Please enjoy.
Nowhere is easy to find nowadays. There's people going every day. Ask them and they'll show you the way. You buy your ticket with pain, and it's a one-way train. Just give me quiet times in a quiet room. Just the Lord and my soul. That was Candy and Daryl Kuhn, Quiet Times. Don't I love those quiet times in the morning? I, I really appreciate uh, being able to have that uh, that time. Look, we've got a free uh, free gift for you today, a, uh, a book. Our book uh, this uh, this week's entitled Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. Now, uh, this week, the whole week, we're talking about violence and the Bible and how do we respond to it. So today, we've got a book for you. This is a fantastic uh, book. Now, you might have, uh, uh, some of you might have seen the film uh, Hacksaw Ridge. This is the book that goes along with it. It's entitled Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. It's the official authorised story of Desmond Doss. It's the gripping true story that inspired Mel Gibson's movie Hacksaw Ridge. When we go into combat, Doss, you're not coming back alive. I'm going to shoot you myself. The men of the 77th Infantry Division couldn't fathom why Desmond Doss wouldn't venture into the horrors of World War II without a single weapon to defend himself. You're nothing but a coward, they said. But the soft-spoken medic insisted his mission was to heal uh, and not to kill. When Desmond Doss uh, knelt by his bunk to pray, his fellow soldiers hurled boots and insults at him. Even his commander wanted to throw him out of the army. But when his unit arrived on the battlefield, uh, the intrepid medic uh, proved that he was no coward. One terrifying day in the vicious battle for Okinawa, uh, dozens of Desmond's former tormentors lay wounded and bleeding atop Hacksaw Ridge. As Japanese bullets rained down, uh, their fate seemed hopeless. Could one unarmed man save their lives? 
This is an absolute page turner. Uh, and look, we're giving this, uh, this book away. It's called Hero of Hatsaw Ridge. Eric, have you read this book at all? I have. I've read the book and I've got the DVD at home. I tell you to the people out there who haven't read this book, Please get it. I mean, it's, it's almost, if you find it's so easy to read, it's all, if you like reading novels, it's like in a novel form, it's a story form. And it's brilliant. It starts off right back in his day at, you know, back uh, when he was studying the Bible. He was Seventh Adventist Christian. Yes. yes. And uh, he didn't want to go, he went into the army to save lives. He didn't want to carry a firearm. And they assured him that he would be able to go and not carry a firearm. But he ended up being in a unit where he was expected to carry a rifle. And he refused. And he got, he, got really picked on as you were saying when yeah, he was praying yeah. and other things happened to him and then out on the battlefield he he proved himself he saved many lives but it's it, it's tremendous story of faith of how he stuck with his beliefs how god protected him through those times and at the end if you get the if you have a look at the DVD, you'll actually see him in person. They have a clip of him actually on yeah. the end of the program, and he talks about his faith, and and it shows you how he stuck to it, even though what was happening around. He stayed faithful to God, and he ended up the people in the in the group wouldn't actually go out there unless he actually prayed for them. They wouldn't go into the next battle unless he prayed for them. Now to wow. begin with, they were having making fun of him, yeah. but when he when he they started to see what was happening, they 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 were ready to go, and they said, "What are you waiting for?" waiting for those to come up and pray for us. Wow. You know, wow. and it's a tremendous that's, that's story right. of faith. This is, an imp- this is a, a powerful story of how one man actually dealt with violence. I mean, mm. if you're in yeah. the army, you're expected to be able to uh, to kill. And this is Second World War, and the army wasn't a lot different to what it actually is today. Mm. Uh, but Desmond Doss, yeah. uh, the film's been made. It's called The uh, Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. We're not giving away the DVD today, but we are giving away uh, this book. It's the official um authorised uh, uh, biography. It's only a, a short book. He'll love this particular book. Look, if you'd like The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, just put down Hero of Hacksaw Ridge and uh, send your name, your address, your telephone number. Just text it uh, to he- to us here at our studio. Uh, our studio number is 0488 880811. That number again is 0488 880811. 811 and uh, the book is entitled Hero of Hacksaw Ridge it's the it's the it's the official book uh, about Desmond Doss uh, and of course the movie uh, was based on on this particular book 0488 880811 and we'll uh, get you by the fastest possible means this book Hero of Hacksaw Ridge it really does explain in an incredibly a practical way how one man uh, was able to deal with the violent world that he found uh, himself in you're listening to Faith FM Drive Time big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary uh, today our co-host is Eric Hoare and Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church this week we're taking as our theme the Bible and violence and today we're simply asking how did Christ uh, deal with violence? 
You know, Eric, we live in an incredibly violent world. There are guns, uh, wars and gun violence. There's mass shootings. Uh, there's incredible violence on almost every movie uh, that we, we look at. Uh, there's video, there's incredibly realistic video gaming uh, violence. Uh, then, of course, uh, there's road rage. I don't know if you've uh, come across any of that in, uh, lately. Uh, there's domestic violence. Then of all things, there's a remarkable amount of violence within the Bible itself. Now, that's not where I would normally expect to actually find it. But this week we're dealing with that particular question. Tomorrow, I'm actually going to be presenting the Bible study, and we're going to be talking about the horrible God of the Old Testament and uh, see if we can come to grips with some of, some of the issues that are, that are raised there. But uh, today, we're simply asking, how did Christ respond to, to violence? Help us out, Eric. How did he respond to violence? Well, um, Christ actually talks about the Christians as peacemakers, and it's surprising that uh, I too have had a lot of people say to me that, you know, there's a lot of violence in the Bible, and in fact they said that Christ sort of promoted violence with some of his teachings. I haven't found that myself. I find that one of the big ones that they often quote is actually found in um, it's off, it's found in Matthew uh, 5, 38 to 42. Uh, and it talks there, it says there, this is the one that I just want to talk about, verse 38 of Matthew 5, because I think we have to talk about this first, mm. because it gives a different point of view to what we're going to follow on, on how Jesus reacted to violence. And it says there, uh, back in the Old Testament it's quoted too, and you, you might cover that uh, tomorrow night, you have heard that it is said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. Uh, and this is talked about here in Matthew. So what does that mean? Is God saying then that uh, we should react with violence? But what um, what I didn't understand, and when you study this particular verse, that the words an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth occurred three times in the Old Testament and now appears in Matthew. But these words were given as part of a of Israel's uh, judicial law to be enforced by magistrates. These words were designed to protect the weak against the strong, to serve as a warning to evil other evil people, and to prevent a judge from ministrating too great a penalty for those who maimed others. It was never intended to justify personally retaliate in vengeance. In other words, this these words to be used by the councils, by the courts in dealing with people, that they would use that law. And the problem Jesus faced was that this law was perverted by Jewish leaders. It was no longer confined to magistrates, but it became generally applied in a manner that gave each person the right to avenge his wrongs personally. Never that's, intended. That's actually that a really frightening thing. You know, this, uh, this thought that, okay, in the Old Testament, where, uh, certainly the, the Jewish law did say, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, and, uh, it was a principle that, uh, Christ picked up and said, you know, you've heard it said this, but yes. I say unto you, and he, he substituted something. And of course, what he's actually dealing with there, and I think you raise an incredibly important point there, is that, uh, that Old Testament law, was actually intended to be enforced by the magistrates. Mm. This was a, a court law. In other words, if I had a four sheep stolen, mm. um, I could go to court yep. and I could expect that the magistrate would say, uh, you have to repay 
for sheep. It's uh, actually a just law in a way if it's done with a magistrate who looks at the case and says this is matches the, what's happened here. It was never intended for somebody to, um, like you're talking about road rage, you get somebody bang in the back of your car, you don't go over and, and you know, take it out on him. Never intended to be in other words, in this way. this eye for an eye wasn't intended to be something whereby individuals have given been given the right to summary justice. No, it was never meant to be used in communities out in the public, but it was to be used in the court system and the council. But that's what the summary justice issue is what it had become mm. by Jesus' time. That's right. And 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 it was often perverted by the Jewish leaders. Uh, they took that and, and, and put it out to the people because, you know, violence just does not match up to the character of Christ. Violence is, defi- is defined as a physical force Force exerted for the purpose of violating, damaging, or abusingly abusing people, and that was never ever the intention that Jesus gives us. You know, it, Eric, what you're saying there, I think, is actually so important that we actually pick this up because uh, it is actually so easy. Um, if, in fact, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking individuals who are driving along on the uh, on the road. I mean, just a uh, a month or two back, I actually had uh, uh, I was on the road and uh, uh, what the I had a. Uh, an elderly lady that was, I discovered she was an elderly lady directly behind me, but the car behind that, um, there was a, a major altogether. A young man actually got out and uh, was abusing, and I re- really felt, you know, the lights were about to turn green, and uh, and thankfully the lights turned green. I could go, she could go, and leave him standing, uh, standing there. Uh, but, you know, Eric, uh, to me this was a frightening thing mm-hmm. when an individual actually takes uh, justice, so say, mm-hmm. uh, into their own hands. That's right. And sometimes in a court of law, um, when a penalty is given, it's taken in all the circumstances, you know, and you don't know what that person, they might have lost a, a loved one that day. Yeah. There's all sorts of things that they, they take in a court of law. But I, I really am interested in Jesus following on from that in Matthew eighteen fifteen. He says this, Moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. If he hears you, you have gained your brother. But if he will not hear, take with you one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses every word may be established. And if he refuses to heal them, tell it to the church. But if he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a tax collector. So what it's saying here is if somebody hurts you and sins against you and does wrong against you, don't go and act violent back again, but go and see him, communicate, talk about what had happened. Clear it up. And if he doesn't accept that, you know, you take somebody with you to be witnesses there, and then you bring it to the, the general public the, you know, of the church, the church fold, the people in the church, and deal with it there. This is not an act of violence. This is, this is actually incredibly challenging for us today because, you know, Eric, one of the things I'm really conscious of is that uh, it's so easy uh, if uh, a person even uh, hears something that they perceive is Wrong. They very quickly move on to Facebook. Mm. Uh, they very yes. quickly move on to social media. Yeah. And I know, you know, certainly, I mean, I've had, um, I, I've had some young people that I, you know, that 
I've actually had to talk to on, on one or two occasions because uh, what they were actually saying uh, mm. was actually they had been given, they had perceived something incorrectly. Mm. Uh, and then rather than going to the individual and talking to the individual mm. uh, about that particular issue, they had gone straight onto Facebook and condemned somebody totally unjustly. Yeah, well, these texts here are talking about handling something that's happening within the church as a basis of what you do out in the world. So this is a, a guideline, if you like, on, on how to deal with matters like that. And you're right, we live in a time now when the thing, something escalating can, can just blow up in, in, in more than ever now because there's yeah. so much media stuff out there. And I know many, many people in our group that won't talk to their brothers or sisters through something on Facebook that they've wrongly interpreted. Yeah. It's amazing, yeah. and yeah. that goes on for a long time. But the thing is, the first thing is, I think here, that we understand that violence doesn't have to be an act of hitting somebody or doing it. It actually starts in the mind. And just an Old Testament and then come to a, a New Testament one. This is the last Old Testament I'll use, but it says, Leviticus 19 says, Do not hate your brother in your heart. Uh, rebuke, rebuke your neighbour frankly so you will not share in his guilt. So what it's saying here is it, it starts off in the heart, you harbour it. So even if, if, uh, something happened and you, uh, you think that way. Well, listen to Matthew five twenty one twenty two. You have heard that it was said of to those of old, "You shall not murder," and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother "Raka," which means empty head or fool, you're a fool, shall be in the danger of the council. But whoever says you fool shall be in the danger of hell fire. So what it's saying here, if you 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 may not murder somebody in one of the commandments, but you may think it or wish that person dead because of what they've done with you. That's just as bad as the act. This is hugely challenging to the world in which we're living today, Eric, you know, because I, I am just, I am just so conscious that, um, it, it's so easy to, to judge somebody else, um, without, Working through the issue with them, uh, uh, on a number of occasions, I've actually, um, as a, as a pastor, I've actually encouraged people. I've said, hey, uh, you know, they've shown me a text that somebody has sent to them. And, uh, and they said, what should we do? And uh, my response every time is exactly the same. I say, have you gone and spoken to them? Yeah. Uh, do you know, uh, to me, uh, I, I personally believe this texting, uh, responses to something when I don't have the full picture in mind without talking to a person is actually a cop out. What amazes me, uh, Gary, and, and we all do it. We judge, you know, in our minds and, and we're all guilty of that. But the thing is that when you know someone, you've been friends with them for a long time. And you, you know that person, you know how they walk and act. Yeah. And if something yeah. happens that's misunderstood, today it seems to be that it just sort of snows ball there through the media or whatever they're doing. And then you find that the, 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 the action towards that person becomes so much greater. When they knew that person before, wouldn't you think that that person is still your friend? Yeah. You know, no matter what happens, you would still be able. I'd like to think that as Christians, this is what God teaches us. We'll learn as we go through this on how to deal with with violence or how to yeah. think and act. Yeah. Because the next one says, this is an interesting one. It actually moves on from what you're saying. Second Corinthians twelve twenty. It says, "For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I wish." This is Paul talking, and you may not find me as you wish. I fear that there may be quarrelling, quarrelling, jealousy. Rage, rivalry, slander, gossip, gossip, 
uh, gossip, uh, arrogance and disorder. For I'm afraid that when I come, I may not find you as I want you to be, and you may not find me as you want me to be. So mm. that he's even saying here that because I've heard of this, that there's all this going on, that what I'm going to say to you through the power of Jesus Christ, you may not want to listen to me, that I may not be as you are, yeah. but it's saying this is where it all starts, quarreling, jealousy, all these things here will lead to violence. Yeah. So it's a matter of getting those things in order. And that's what, you know. And you know, Eric, what you're saying there is so important because, you know, a lot of people don't realize that the Corinthian church particularly was a, uh, was a regarded as a incredibly problematical church. It was a, there was, there was fighting, there was infights, there were, uh, well, there was a number of sexual immorality, there were people taking each other to law, to the law courts. Uh, this, the, the issues in Corinth are absolutely huge. Uh, but, you know, to me, the thing that I really appreciate is that a Paul actually writes to them first physically because he but it's a full pastoral epistle as their as their leader but he also he tells he says to them I am coming to you because I want to sit to, down with you and I want to talk to you about these things mm-hmm. he, he was a person who was prepared to do one on one he was prepared to go and talk uh, to uh, the individuals who he felt who he understood uh, were actually offending and, and, you know, to me, as I hear what you're saying here, to me, this is incredibly relevant to a media-based age where, where in fact, it's just so easy to fob off and to blame somebody else without being aware of even half of the facts. That's right. And it's, it's what you're talking about is being led by the Spirit. A power yeah. outside of ourselves, because the first thing we want to do is to join in. A lot of people like gossip, you know. Yeah. Um, they love doing it, and and so when the the, the spirit changes uh, a person or is used through a person, then that person um, will will do the unexpected in a world today. Yeah. You know, it's not an unex- it's not an unex- like for instance, um, if if you were given too much money, uh, uh, you know, in return at the grocery, and you return that, that's unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, Christ expects that of us as followers of Christ because yeah. his character takes so you don't hurt anybody, whether it's financial or whatever, you know. Um, but, you know, the, what I'm really amazed, um, Pastor Gary, is a sermon on the mount recorded in Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's got one of the most detailed teachings of Jesus Christ recorded in the New Testament. And in this vital sermon, Jesus Christ lays out the central way of life that he wanted his followers to follow. If any of the listeners want to get a real basis of Jesus' character, read Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Mm. And, you know, Matthew 5, 9 uh, in the Beatitudes, Jesus taught, Blessed or happy are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. There's a happiness when you're at peace with other people, mm. when you're out there uh, helping to bring the Spirit of God where there is dispute, where there is dissension. Yeah. And so we're actually, as Christians, called to be peacemakers. That was G- Jesus' theme right throughout the New Testament. Wow. Is to be following wow. this way. And Christ's followers should be characterized by living a way that leads to peace, totally opposite of a life characterized by violence and things. And one of the big things he said was in Romans twelve seventeen to 18, he says, Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. It is, it is, if it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace 
with everyone. He follows that in Hebrews twelve fourteen to 15. Make every effort to live in peace with everyone and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Uh, you know, there's a theme right through here about um, uh, being peaceful. And, you know, Gary, when you talk about people that have disputes and who don't talk to their family anymore, all it takes is, is a couple little words, I'm sorry, to break the ice and then to bring it all back together again, you know. Uh, because when you have these feuds and when you have this violence, trying to deal with things with violence, you're never at peace. Yeah, it will yeah. just escalate. You know, this is one of the things that I, I know that you know from time to time I get the privilege of being able to uh, to marry people as a marriage celebrant. Uh, and within the the Seventh Day Adventist Church, one of our practices is that if a person wants to be married, they need to sit down with the pastor on about half a dozen occasions, and we just talk through uh, marriage preparation issues. Mm. And you know, one of the really big uh, issues that we always talk about uh, is this issue of forgiveness. Mm. Uh, because, you know, I, I, so many times I, I share with a young couple and I say, hey, how do you deal with this issue when you, uh, when you disagree now? Uh, because when you're married, you're going to disagree with each other. You need to be able uh, to say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? I made a mistake. Uh, and yet, you know, one of the, uh, and we often chat through, uh, these, uh, these types of issues. Uh, but do you know, one of the things I'm so conscious of is that, uh, within our environment today, it is so, it is so easy, uh, to simply say, I know who the problem is here. And there is the problem over there. The problem is with somebody else. Uh, you know, to me, this, uh, this Christian teaching, this Christian understanding, and that's where it comes from, of forgiveness is just so powerful. It's so key to being able to bring people together. Uh, and you know, to, uh, Eric, as I, when, when I realize that, when I share that with people, uh, they understand that Christianity, uh, marriages actually work best uh, when there is actually a third person involved. And I'm talking about Jesus Christ. Mm. When Jesus is involved in the marriage, it's actually a much stronger marriage. Well, it can't be any other way. And, and not only in the marriage, but in our everyday life. If if we turn to Him every moment that we can, we have. Even when we're, at, I mean, it's so easy to be with Christ when things are going well. But when we're going through troubled times, and particularly if we've got, um, uh, we feel that somebody has done us wrong, we find that there can be a blockage. It can be like a cancer that grows within us. And and if we read the scriptures, we will get back on course because Christ time and time again says to forgive those that hurt you. Even the uh, it talks about those that and found also in Romans 13.10 love does no harm to a neighbour therefore love is a fulfilment of the law. Yeah. So it's yeah. saying here now that this is the biggest principle of all. Uh, you know I, I like this what it says here it says you have heard it was said you shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy but I say to you love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be the sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. <clears throat> but if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? This, this is truly a radical teaching, isn't it? Is. it? You know, it's completely opposite. Completely opposite to the world in which we are living today. Yeah. The world actually doesn't say to do any of this. You know, I mean, to bring down justice on someone's head is in fact the objective. But Christ's method, this is something that we actually don't see involved 
in the life of uh, of so many uh, individuals and so many issues that are being faced today. But look, let's come to some uh, some music. Sure. Uh, this is uh, the Porter's Gate, and uh, this song is entitled uh, "The Greatest uh, Commandment." It's it's a wonderful little song. your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as yourself let us be known let us be known by the way we love let us be known let By the way we love Love the Lord your God With all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Love the Lord your God With all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself Love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind And love your neighbor as yourself is the Porter's Gate, uh, the greatest commandment. Indeed it is, uh, the most wonderful commandment in the entire scriptures. Our free gift for you today, uh, remember also, is the uh, storybook uh, uh, Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. This is a real little beauty. This is the official authorised story of Desmond Doss. Uh, this is the uh, the story of the hero of Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, you might uh, might have seen or heard the film Hacksaw Ridge. Uh, the film was based on this particular book. We're giving it away today. It's a fantastic uh, book, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge. Look, if you'd like a copy of uh, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, uh, then please, your name, your address, your phone number, and uh, just simply text that uh, with uh, the title of the book, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, uh, uh, to our drive time uh, uh, mobile uh, number here. That number is uh, 0488 880 
811. And uh, you'll love this book. This was a man who really learnt, uh, who really taught people uh, how to deal uh, with violence uh, in the most extreme form in an amazingly Christian manner. Uh, I'd recommend this book to you, The Hero of Hacksaw Ridge, and that number again is 0488-880-811. You're listening to Faith FM Drive Time, big Q&A with uh, Pastor Gary, and today our co-host is Eric Hoare. And Eric ministers to the Adelaide Aboriginal Seventh-day Adventist Church. This week we're taking as our theme, the Bible and violence. And today we're simply asking, how did Christ uh, deal with violence? Eric, bring it together for us. Yes, we were just talking about Romans 13.10 when it says, Love does no harm to a neighbour. Therefore, love is the fulfilment of the law. And then when we follow that up with Matthew 5.46, it says, For if you love those who love you, what reward will you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the tax collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect. This is your Father in heaven is, is perfect. So what he's saying is, who is your neighbor? You know, is a neighbor is the one that you want to get along with? Is it those that you love and know? Who is your neighbor? Is it those just in the church? Is it just those that agree with your, your points of view? No, it's, it's, it's everybody out in the world. They, they, this is what Jesus is saying, that when we love those out in the world as much as we love them, we will do them no harm. In fact, Christ actually told an amazing parable. It was, you know, Most people know it as the parable of the Good Samaritan. Mm. And that's a remarkable parable because what we've got is a Samaritan. Now, of course, the Samaritan was uh, ethnically different to the Jew, and the Jew looked down on the Samaritans. You had nothing to do with these Samaritans. They were not at the same level as what uh, the Jewish people uh, certainly regarded themselves at that particular time. Uh, Christ told the parable, and you know he he talks about the Levite. He talks about the priest passing by uh, this wounded man until finally a Samaritan comes along, a man who is actually being looked down on, uh, he comes along and he renders assistance to somebody. And then he goes, the, puts him on his own donkey, mm. uh, takes him to the motel, pays his cost and says to the innkeeper, I want you to look after him until he's well. Uh, you know, to me, as I look at that story, I sort of say, hey, you know, if ever there's boundaries that have been broken down, it's within that particular story. That's right. And, you know, when you see somebody um, that you that you admire and love, you, you don't hurt them. I remember... Also, within the church, it can it can be a stumbling block for people with theology or what they believe is different. I remember uh, back in New Zealand, there was uh, two of our church members uh, uh, who are fairly high up in the church. They worked in a sawmill, mm-hmm. and they had a disagreement on the nature of Christ back then. Going through, and that's a point of theology. Point of theology, and they stopped talking to each other at church. They would not s- talk to one another. Mm-hmm. In fact, when one came, the other one left. Often, you know, this is how bad it became. And then I remember that um, uh, down at the sawmill, I knew some people that worked there, and they knew that I went to the same church. And they said, you know, there's two blokes that won't even talk to each other in the sawmill that that, uh, go to your church. And so they saw... They say, "Well, that's Christianity. We don't want anything to do with it." You know. Yeah. So this is a this is the danger of 
of not allowing that love to permeate through us to accept that and and to understand that that Jesus wants us to be peacemakers to work that way you know the greatest commandments the bible says is Matthew 22:37 to 40 it says you shall love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind this is the greatest and first commandment and the second is like this you shall love your neighbor as yourself on these two commandments depend on the law and the prophets so when you love god and you concentrate on god the love he gives us means that we will go to our neighbors with that love that's mm. the key isn't it the first is in the commandments you read them love your god do not take any other idol that's the first one the second one is to love your neighbor isn't the other two powerful ones that that's, follows. that's that's an incredible uh, expectation. You know, this is some of the biblical teaching that I really uh, I really appreciate, and to me is so relevant to the day and age in which we're living today. But Eric, look, I've got a question I need to ask you. How do I respond to this issue of violence? Because let's face it, I mean, what we've been talking about today are really uh, the ideal. You know, yes, I mean, we've been given principles, teaching principles, but how do uh, you know? I mean, my problem is. Is that when I'm, you know, driving down the road, it's so easy when someone cuts in front of me to suddenly, you know, to react in an inappropriate way. How how do we deal with that? It's interesting, isn't it, that when we look at Jesus' life and we see one time when Peter cut off the the ear of the soldier uh, when they went to arrest him, and Jesus said, "Put away your sword, for whoever lives by the sword dies by the sword." Yeah, he was teaching him that this was not the way when he was in the temple. And uh, it seemed to be that he was angry through the tables. He was standing up for something where they were ripping off the people by selling the yeah, sacrifice there. Yeah. He stood up for that. So what he did was he says, whenever there's an uh, a injustice being done, stand up for it. But the big thing is I believe that we are changed. Galatians five twenty two to 26 says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Since we live by the Spirit... Let us keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking, envying each other, which if you could add on, which can lead to violence if you want to put it that way. So these are, what he's saying here is that we are, we change. The more we become like the character of Christ, the more we will show love. And this is what the world needs. To, to me, I think what you've done here, Eric, is put your finger, I believe, right on the heart and core of this entire issue. Because uh, to me, the, th- the amazing thing about to me uh, about scripture to me is it talks about the Holy Spirit, mm. and you know I know that uh, Paul talks. Let this mind be in you that is also in Christ Jesus. You get this uh, uh, this teaching about the possible possibility of transformation on the individual because the reality is it's so easy when somebody offends me to flick off a text to them, flick off a Facebook uh, uh, a quote to them, and basically uh, come back at them in. In a way that uh, I perceive they have impacted me. But you know, uh, to me, the very beautiful thing about the scripture, and I love that passage that you, uh, uh, that you actually quoted there. In fact, uh, to me, the thing that stands out to me is actually the passage that goes immediately before it. The works of the flesh, are evident, which are adultery, fornication, uncleanliness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery, hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish and you know as i read this list here you know what paul is saying is that these come from the natural man that's what the natural man 
will do because that's what the natural man does. And one of the evidences of being born again and led by the Spirit is the way we react to something is not the way we would react before. Exactly. Before we were changed. And it's not the way the world goes. It's the way Christ would go. Exactly. And that's the key. Can I just have one sure. quick text here that fo- follows on from that? It's actually James three sixteen to 17. For it said, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, you will find disorder and evil, every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, undefiled, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wow. I love that. I love that passage because this is a changed life yeah. from where we were before. In other words, through the work of the Holy Spirit, it is physically possible for a person's thinking processes to change. You know, sometimes I actually hear people say, oh, you know, what we need out there is better education. Well, the problem is, is that I'm actually a fairly well-educated person myself. But the problem is, is that that doesn't actually change how I think. But you know, within the Word of God, what we, what the scriptures actually tell me is that there is actually a thing called the Holy Spirit that when He fills my heart and my mind, it actually changes the way that I think, the way that I, uh, I act, the way that I naturally respond to other people. That's right. And the gra- people are looking for miracles today. They want to have proof that God exists. The greatest proof to me and to anybody else has seen a changed life. The greatest miracle is the Holy Spirit changing a person to accept these fruits of the Spirit from where they were. The greatest miracle of all yeah. is one that comes to Christ in a way that people can see it. Indeed. Indeed. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you right now. Lord, I want to say thank you. For giving us the gift of your Holy Spirit. Lord, thank you for giving us your teaching word. Lord, thank you for sending Jesus Christ. But Lord, I just pray that indeed you might be with each of our, our listeners. Lord, if there's anybody who's struggling uh, with some issue, uh, some conflict in their life, uh, Lord, I pray that you might hear their prayer. Uh, Lord, I pray uh, that indeed you might touch them, that you might touch the other person or people that's involved. Uh, Lord, that indeed your Holy Spirit will take full control uh, and that peace uh, will descend on that situation. Lord, we we give these matters into uh, your care at this time. And we pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. Well, folks, it does look like our time's up for today. Thank you so much for joining Pastor Gary, Eric Hoare on Drive Time, big Q&A. Please join us tomorrow when Pastor David Butcher is going to be hosting and I'm going to be addressing the question of the day. We're going to be asking, was the God of the Old Testament a violent monster? Really look forward to seeing you. But until then, please remember Christ said, I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace I give isn't like the peace that the world gives. So don't be troubled or afraid. May our God richly bless you.